for whatever reason, we lean into division. We lean into division in regard to our media. We lean into division in regard to the way that we view politics. We will lean into division in regard to even the way that we interact with with music and musicals. Just think through it. In science fiction, it's really low sci-fi, but you've got the, let's just be transparent, you have a division between the... You have a division between the rebels and the who? Anybody know? All right, great. Uh, Star Wars, you guys are good at that. Uh, we also have divisions in musicals, like you have the sharks and you have the jets. That's good. Thank you so much. Uh, we really see division the most when we get to college football season. We're pretty divided people. And in a room like this, we're even more divided because so many of us come from so many different places. We have people who cheer for Penn State. And if you cheer for Penn State, that means you don't cheer for who? Anybody besides Penn State. It should be the answer. If you're an Alabama fan, that means that you hate Auburn more than anybody. You are divided from them. If you are a Texas fan, that means that you don't get along with Texas A&M because you don't have anything in common other than what took place yesterday. We have lots of things that divide us, that separate us, that one side and the other. We lean into division. When we get to Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to pick up in verse 11, and we see how the writer of the book of Ephesians, named Paul, is going to chat with us a little bit about division and about what undoes that. Because there's division in the world in which Paul lived, and he wants to address it and address the one who makes that right, who undoes division, who makes it right. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 2, picking up in verse 11. So then, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised, which is done in the flesh by human hands. At that time you were, you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ... You who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility in his flesh. He made of no effect the law consisting of commands and express and regulations, so that he might create in himself one new man from the two, resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body. Through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. He came and he proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For, the, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers the fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. 
our theme for the series of Ephesians is new. So here's just a phrase to help us out to get us started as to what takes place in this passage. When we are made new in Christ, a divided people find common ground on which they can stand together. One more time. In Christ, a divided people find common ground on which we can stand together. As you work through this text, you're going to see it... uh, make itself clear in three ways. The first thing is in 11 through 13, you see separation. In, in 14 through 18, you see reconciliation. And in 19 through 22, you see foundation. One more time for those in the back. Separation is 11 through 13. Reconciliation is 14 through 18. Foundation is 19 through verse 22. And as he talks to us about separation, what we can see very clearly is that the writer Paul is letting the Jewish people or the Gentile people know you at one point were divided from God. So for every one of us in this room, I think we're leaning into our Gentileness today, you were divided from God. All of us in all of creation are divided from God. This is who you were. And it uses the word separation. We could also use the word alienation. That we are divided people. That we are estranged. That we are separated. That we are removed from one another. That in our division, it is because of hostility that is there. We are not connected in any way, shape, or form. We, these people were divided from God, but they were also divided from the people of Israel. So then, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, is what the writer says. Called the uncircumcised by those who call it the circumcised, which is done in the flesh by human, human hands. So you see in this text, he's pointing out that they're using this phrase, the uncircumcised. That's not a positive term. This is a very negative thing for the writer to be saying, to be saying, or for the Jewish people to be saying about the Gentiles. You were the uncircumcised. What is this coming from? Well, it's coming off of chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, where it says this. He's pointing out in this text, you were separated. This is who you were. But you've been brought near to God, for you were saved by grace through faith, and this is not of yourselves, it's a gift. The salvation that God offers you is a gift. It's not from any works that you've done so that nobody can boast. For we are His workmanship. We are His masterpieces created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. So why are we using this language? Why would Paul be elevating this term that has caused so much division for this group of people attempting to find their place in the church? For a Jewish man, uh, physical circumcision had meaning. It it meant that that person knew God's law. It it meant that that person had pledged to live by God's law. It it meant because they knew God's law and had pledged to live by God's law that they realized that that circumcision was not really about the physical act as much as it was about a circumcision of the heart that was taking them in the direction that God would have them as his people to go because the Jewish people were God's people intended to be the hope of the world. The problem, rather than being a guide to God... These Jewish leaders turned the hearts and, and turned they turned this into a barrier between the Gentiles and God. So rather than them seeing themselves as the hope of the world in the Old Testament, the Jewish leaders told their people that they should live divided, be removed, that they should separate themselves. 
They looked down on everyone who was not circumcised. And they called the Gentiles the uncircumcision. They viewed the Gentiles as low and worthless. An incredibly divided people. Yet they were intended and they were meant to be people who were aligning those who were far from Yahweh with his rescue. I'm a terrible driver. I think I've made that abundantly clear in my five years here in Lake Jackson. I'm pretty sure it's hereditary. There's no one for me to really ask. Uh, I, I have a... If, you'll, if you're ever close to me, and if I'm ever around your child, they may say, hey, you've got a scar on your chin. Thank you so much, kid. Here's a mint. But you, you look at the text, and you see... That, or rather, you look and you see, I have this scar on my chin. I, I was 16 years old, and I was driving down the highway in Chattanooga, where I'm from. It was pouring down rain. It was 1994. I'm not proud, but Snoop Dogg was playing in the background as I was driving. Rain everywhere. I'm in the midst of a monsoon slash storm. I was driving faster than I should have been driving because I was 16 years old, and 16-year-olds are historically dum-dums. I tried to take an exit, this exit, Faster than I should have. Do we have a picture of it, Scott? This exit. Dayton Boulevard, Red Bank. There's a couple of good cheeseburger places there at the bottom, but I digress. When you take the exit, there's, an over, there's, there's a ramp, and it's really sharp. And right there, there's this thin, thin guardrail. There's also a cement wall. I would eventually hit the cement wall and my car would bounce back and forth for, for what felt like hours and moments simultaneously. So I, I was in fast forward. I was in slow motion. and Both of those things were happening. And as I'm bouncing back and forth, all that I can think is, this is not really good. I also was not wearing a seatbelt if we could return to me being an aforementioned 16-year-old dum-dum. If I had hit just a few inches in front of that, I'd have struck a guardrail. Now, the thing about this guardrail is it really doesn't do anything. It's barely there. And at the rate that I was going and the weather that I was driving so fast, and if I had hit this thing in the right place, it would have launched me off of the exit down into oncoming traffic. Thankfully, that did not happen. I am thankful for multiple reasons. One of those is it did not happen. Now, if I had struck that, that would have been horrendous. But what if in that moment, someone froze space and time? Doctor Who dropped right in. And when he stopped space and time, he begins to have a conversation with me about what I'm doing. He's, he's there to save me. He's there to serve as a rescuer for me. He's there to make sure that I don't fall into ongoing traffic. But rather than attempting to rescue me, he begins to ask questions. And his questions are questions like this. Have you ever eaten pork? Duh, Doctor Who. I'm on my way to get pepperoni pizza right now. The Jewish people in the days of Jesus, their leaders especially, had this idea that the, the Gentiles 
were so unclean and were so not worth their care, then rather than being what God intended, them being the hope of the world in a broken, fallen world, they continually put up barriers, not inviting people in. The reason that we can say this is when we look into the Scriptures, we can see that the people of God... They are exclusive. This is an exclusive message of Christianity. The exclusive message of Judaism is very clear. But anytime someone who was far from God wanted to be near to him, he would bring them in. You, you see that in the lineage of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. These stories of prostitutes who would have also been labeled unclean. You see stories of, of Moabites who would have been labeled unclean. And what you find when you look at the people of Israel at this point and their leadership was this. They were unlike God in attempting to create something. We look at the text and we can see that God is doing a work here when he says, you need to remember, don't lose sight of, as a result of the fact that you were saved by grace and through faith, don't miss this. Remember that at one time you were Gentiles, you were far from God. The uncircumcised are different. Rather than serving the purpose of guiding people, these Jewish, people, these Jewish leaders, to the one true God and the nation of Judaism, they let the world know they were bound for destruction if they acknowledged them at all. They'd forgotten that true circumcision was a circumcision of the heart. It was an attitude of holiness and separation from the ways of the world, an attitude of dedication to God. The uncircumcised. The Gentiles, they did not believe in God. They didn't believe in His law. And the text will take us to, they were aliens. They had no Savior. They had no hope of one. They were godless and they were far away from Him. Verse 12, Paul says this, At that time you were without Jesus. You were excluded from citizenship of, the, of Israel. You were foreigners to the covenant of promise. Without hope, without God in the world. God's promises have always been to his people exclusively. And the Gentiles, us, were excluded. And there was no expectation whatsoever of salvation. One commentator phrases it this way. The Gentiles were Christless, stateless, friendless, hopeless, and godless. That sounds like a terrible place to be. And that's where every one of us, apart from Jesus, is. But now... In Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. You were far from him, you're near to him. You were estranged from him, you are right with him. You were alienated with him, this is now home for you. That's who Jesus is. Now the Gentile people have access to God without converting to Judaism. Now we, every person in this room who is far from God, has access to God, not by converting to rules and regulations, but by the shed blood of Jesus. His rules. Jesus. His death. So you move from this conversation about alienation and separation, I did not mean to rhyme three words in a row, to reconciliation, which is a fourth. This is who you were, is what you see when we consider our separated state. When we get to the reconciling work of Jesus, he says, this is who you are. You and I, if we are in Jesus, are united with God. 
You, if you are united with Jesus, you are part of God's family. If you are not united with Jesus, you are not united with God. And you are not part of God's family. God is working. And the one who makes it so that you can be right with God is the person of Jesus. Because he is doing two things. He is and he does at the exact same time. He is our peace. And he is the peacemaker. Both of these things at work. He is our peace, verse 14, who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. So this wasn't just division. This was anger and frustration. This was wanting ill for those that they were in opposition against. I play basketball with some grown men from time to time. That always uh, leads to a day or two of me trying to walk. And we realized we looked very muddled on the court. So we, a group of grown men, have decided to order reversible jerseys so we can tell who is who. So you'll know this, these, this team's in the blue shirt, this team's in the white shirt. We want to be able to see the division. When you look at the... Twain Pike is in charge of that if you would like to order a jersey or to pay for one for someone else. So, when we look at this passage, you are seeing there is this division that's there and they were living in the tension of the division and Jesus said, no, let me offer peace. In the world of Paul, there's this low wall in the court of Jerusalem. And there's this wall, it's about five feet high. It separated the Gentiles from the Jewish people. This Gentile court from the temple enclosed itself. It was called a sorek. That word means separation. And this wall in this court had 13 openings to allow Jewish people to go beyond it. To enter the Gentile court into four other courts. But if you were a member of the Gentiles, you were not a part of the nation of Judaism, you could go no further. No Gentile person was allowed beyond that dividing wall. There are signs that are posted. No entry on the wall in three different languages. And there's even a sign that says this. No foreigner is allowed past this, po- past this point on the penalty of death. The Jewish people have been speaking to the Gentiles. And even within the church, you see some tension here. There is this conversation that's taking place to let them know division is present. You are far from God and we are fine with you being there. But Jesus has done something, not through walls, but in his flesh. In Christ, you now have a Messiah. In Christ, you now have hope. In Christ, you now have God. He made no of no effect the law, verse 15, consisting of commands and expressed in regulations, so that he might create in himself one new man from the two, resulting in peace. So Jesus is doing a work where he takes the Gentile people and the Jewish people, and he doesn't attempt to have them meet in a middle ground, he tries to bring them to a common ground, and that is him. He is showing them that the common place where they can stand together is in Jesus. And for every one of us, for whatever reason, who have chosen to find division about anything that we can be divided about in the year of our Lord, 2022, would we hear this? Would we be united in the person of Jesus? 
that Jesus is our hope, that Jesus is the one who, who is the hope of the world, who brings people who are far near. He draws us together because Jesus, in him, in his death, in his resurrection, he is creating a new humanity, a new people. So let's do it this way. I think I've got engineers here and other engineer-adjacent people. I'm going to count to three, and I want you to speak loudly. Introverts, this is for you. I want you to say aloud the name of a combustible chemical when I count to three, okay? One, two, three. Neat. Now, because you're engineers... I'm going to count to three again, and I want you to say aloud the name of a chemical that just doesn't quite work with the one that you just named. It's combustible. It would cause a problem, a chain reaction, or something. A who's have done it? One, two, three, go. Man, I didn't know oxygen was dangerous. That makes me nervous. I'm very pro-oxygen. What if you mix these combustible things together and rather than an explosion you got something better? Something new. Paul says through the work of Jesus when these two people are brought together. He makes a new thing. 16. He did this so that for every one of you who is not an engineer or an engineer-adjacent person in this room, we will have our engineer chemical small group in the lobby for you to understand what was said in your midst. 16. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put hostility to death. I don't think we get the weight of what a reconciling work is. Of us who are outside of Christ, it's not so much that we are at war with one another. But ultimately, we are at war with God. And there is not one person in this room who exists outside of that war if you are not inside of Jesus. The word reconcile is a word that is full of anger and rage. And it is saying, I want to exclude those things. You actually get to the word hostility here. Because Jesus is going to put hostility to death. And the most ironic thing about it is he puts hostility to death by taking hostility upon himself. He came and he proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. To the Jewish people, the hope of the world is Jesus. To the Gentile people, the hope of the world is Jesus. To every person on this planet, the hope of the world is Jesus. 
Jesus preached peace to those who had a God, which is the Jewish people, and he preached peace to those who did not have a God, the Gentiles. Everyone hears the peace is found in Jesus, for through him we both have access in spirit to, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. We now have access to God because of Jesus. If you are not a believer, this may sound strange. It should sound strange. It is an overwhelmingly unique thing that God would put death to death through His death. That's strange talk. But God works in strange ways over and over in the Scriptures. I was listening to a sermon this week and you see that. I saw as God dealt with things in the strangest of ways. Our God works in mysterious ways. Sometimes they're just downright weird. To heal people who had been bitten by a snake in the book of Exodus, or Numbers rather, God has Moses hold up a bronze snake. That's weird. To win a battle, rather than sending people in with weapons, God has an army march around a wall playing instruments. And I don't think it was a middle school band, because that may tear stuff down, but I'm not sure. To make a man see, Jesus covers his eyes with mud. God continually does miraculous things in mysterious, sometimes weird ways. If you're not a believer, it should sound strange. Here's the counterpoint to that. If you are a believer in Jesus, and I look around the room, and I know most of you, not all of you, but I know many of you would claim that you walk with Jesus. You've placed your faith and your trust in Jesus. That you believe you have been reconciled with Jesus. If you are a believer in Jesus, this may not sound strange to you. But it should. The message of Jesus should always shock us. It should be unique to us. That God chose to work in a way unlike any other person in the entirety of human history. Jesus works differently. So you look at the text and you see the reconciling work of Jesus has do, is done in this incredibly unique way, moving us to our foundation. So, or we could say, this is why you're that. This is what you were. This is who you are. This is why you're that. So then, you are no longer foreigners. You are no longer strangers. But you are fellow citizens with the saints. And you are members of God's household. We are united with believers throughout the history of history. We are connected to believers who have different backgrounds than we do. We are connected to believers who have different races than we do. We are united and grafted into what God has done because it's not based on us, but based in Him to something that is altogether unique. The New Testament... So, so one pastor puts it this way. He, he says of the New Testament, the, the New Testament begins with a lengthy Jewish genealogy. You've come across that at some point in your reading plan that you inevitably skip. I know how y'all work. You get, you get to those begats, you're like, nope, I'm out. The New Testament begins with a Jewish genealogy. It ends with every tribe, tongue, and nation. 
gathered around the throne, worshiping, praising, and locking arms together around the person of Jesus. It's built on the foundation of apostles and saints with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. The cornerstone is a fantastic word because it is the first stone to be laid and it determines the placement of the entire foundation. Not only that, it determines the, the placement of every other stone. Meaning that when we say that Jesus is our cornerstone, he's the one who gives us our base and he's the one who gives us our direction. So for those of us who claim Jesus... Is he your foundation, and do you seek your direction from him? In him, the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are being built together for God's dwelling place in the Spirit. I just need us to notice the language that Paul is using here to talk about what he has made us part of. When God saves us, He saves us to Himself. And He does the personal work of salvation. But He's also saving you to something larger, something bigger, something that is unified. We are citizens in a city. We are stones in a building. We are members of a family. The new temple, the new family, the new building, it's made up of every tribe, language, nation, race, accent, voting block. It's made up of people who are bound together by the person of Jesus. And if we are saying that anything other than Jesus binds us together, then that is a contradiction to the gospel. At best, a distortion. At worst, an absolute atrocity. We're bound by Jesus. We are in a covenant peace with one another because of Jesus. And when we think about it, that we've been made covenant people through the work of Jesus, would we remember this, that covenants are a big deal? And most of us in the room, as I look around, have entered into a covenant. Many of us married. We have said we are promised to another person. And when you enter into a covenant... Jesus says this, What brings you together, let no man separate. Jesus has bound us together with other believers. Would we not undo that? Would we not seek to see that undone? Would we not be a divided people because we have a God who has united us? Hear me, friends. Our world is divided enough. It is. There are voices from every direction who are seeking to elevate that division. The people of Jesus in the midst of that, we're not trying to find a place to stand. We've already got a foundation. Stand there and trust Him. Place our hope in Him. Believe that God will bring about what God desires to bring about and trust Him in the midst of it. Trusting Him. Believing that he has made us part of something new and altogether different. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? If you have never trusted in Jesus,
His body was broken. His blood was shed. He died on a cross so you could know him. Because the hostile barriers are up. But through his death, Jesus puts death to death. And you can have life in him. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus, you'll you'll hear me say this consistently. Prayers don't save people. Jesus does. But could I just give you some handles and invite you to, to interact with the Lord Jesus? I need you because my sin has divided me from you. Jesus, I don't have a, a, a spiritual family. I don't have a cornerstone. I, I, I'm not part of the temple that you're building. Jesus, I want to be part of that. So Jesus, you take my sin, which leads to hostility and death, and I want the life that you offer in exchange. If you pray that or anything like that, I am in the back right-hand corner, my right-hand corner of the room as, as we sing this next song. Please come chat with me. Let me pray with you. Let me encourage you. Let's schedule a time for us to follow up about that. Let me ask my believing friends in the room here, when Jesus says that he's your cornerstone... Are you functioning and aligning your life as if that is true? Do you see him as both your foundation and as the one who gives your life direction? Your person, direction. All of you, direction. Again, it's an honor to be your pastor. And if I could pray for you, I'd love to do that as well. Jesus, we thank you for today. And I thank you that you moved as we went walked through your word. And I, I pray... That I pray that we've heard a better sermon than what I feel like was preached. So Jesus, would you call strangers and aliens home today? Would you encourage reconciled people to live in a reconciling way today.